2: This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, isn't it, CJ? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's from indie films, studio films, everything in between. How to make them? How to get them made? And how to try not to eff it up, in our very, very humble opinion. It's not that humble. I just realised because I talk about exactly what we do every time. I mean, <laughs> how amazing we are. We're not at all. We're very humble. Uh, well, I
3: think we try. I think we try. You know, we. I, uh, we, I think there's a there's a very fine balance. i had this conversation with fellow filmmaker friends and listen to the pod, and I'm like. Yeah. You can't be too cynical but you've got to you know it's it's important to stay positive I think you have to as a person stay positive and it's important to be humble but on the other hand you can't be oh everything I do is rubbish so it's that fine balance yes. I don't know if we're constantly achieving it I mean well, our listeners try. can tell us but we, we do, try our listeners
2: yeah. please tell us please tell us obviously every week we talk about our films that we've made it's kind of what it's about right you have to publicise your own stuff in some way I don't yeah. know I don't know but yeah, you know. right, anyway so it is our humble opinion I'm sorry if you're annoyed by all that talking about what we're making but hey we you know got to get it out there somehow i suppose talk about it. and and this is really interesting because today we're doing a fanged up special Talking about <laughs> how we made <laughs> Fanged Up, uh, which CJ directed, and it stars Stu Bennett, Daniel O'Reilly, and uh, Danielle Harold. Uh, it's written, or co-written by Dan Palmer, who's also in it. Now we're getting all the Dans involved, except <laughs> Dan O'Reilly uh, and Stu Bennett. We're going to get people from Fanged Up guesting on this week's podcast. Correct.
3: Yeah, so we think we might try and uh, throw throw on a few of them to... uh, Like, Dan might come and do a little uh, spot of interviewing too. Mm -hmm.
2: So, Raindance, they are doing a taster day, Saturday the 18th of August, 11am, at the Raindance Film Training Centre in London, where you'll get a real taste of their world-renowned evening and weekend filmmaking courses and workshops all about directing, screenwriting and producing, while gaining invaluable introductory knowledge and tips on how to break into the film industry. And there's a networking drink session at the end where you can start building your filmmaking contacts. And because you're listening to the Filmmakers Podcast, you can get all of this for free. Yes, you heard me right. It's free. Free, free, free for you, my Filmmakers Podcast listeners. Just enter the exclusive discount code TASTERPODCAST20 when booking at checkout. That's brilliant. That's amazing. It is free. Get down there and you can learn so much, I promise you. It's amazing. Taster Podcast 20. So this is actually now a two-parter. We've got Stu Bennett coming up now. And on Friday, we've got screenwriter Dan Palmer and we've got actress Danielle Harold. all talking about Banged Up. But for now, this is part one. Just so you know. Today, we're doing a Fanged Up special, talking about making the feature film Fanged Up with action star Stu Bennett. CJ, let's talk Fanged Up. Let's do it. Let's just jump straight in there. Yeah. Um, Fanged Up, it's a vampire comedy, mm. and we've been talking about it on the podcast for a while. We did a special with you in episode two, I believe. Yeah, it's the, really early on. Yeah, really early on. It's now yeah. pretty much a year later, and in fact, it's pretty much bang on a year later. And fanged up, he's coming out the 30th of July. How do you feel?
3: Yeah, good, buddy. All good. <laughs> um, all joking aside, you know, in this industry, you yeah. just genuinely don't know. It's all a leap of faith. Oh,
2: it so is. So right.
3: And even when this... I mean, I suppose uh, every time you make a feature film, you have to have that kind of blind faith, naive, if we be build it, they will come type attitude. Mm-hmm have to ignore worst case scenario or cost so i think that goes for any uh career uh, we all be you know I, I athletes don't ever think about coming last in the race do they so no. um so this opportunity came to me uh <laughs> maybe um i was in a bit i suppose le- let's be honest here let's be raw um yeah i was in a in a sort of a slight funk actually i'd had a my first feature freak out was a bit bit different because it's more of a um
2: well, that, uh, was, that was indie filmmaking. That indie, was to, yeah, to a the core, yeah. Just making an indie film with a 60mm yeah. camera and running around and shooting it. So Freak Out was kind of, we
3: were as surprised as anybody else to have it released, even that's what we are aiming for. It was still one of those things mm. that I think we just kind of, you just didn't know, and he had so many no's. Anyway, Stall comes along, a yeah. uh, bit of a different beast, and it's a uh, more of an official film production, low budget, blah blah
2: blah, or micro budget actually. It was micro budget, um, and it was you know it went through so many iterations of will it, won't it, what's happening, ooh. what's not, and actually yeah. you got to make it in the end, and that was yeah, funny.
3: we had a, we had a sort of like a shoot start date, which I must admit I was kind of like you know I don't think this is going to happen, and then mm. it got you know very close to the the, the start, then I was like oh. my guess it is i mean we're spending yeah you know, producers are spending shots yeah yeah no it was it was exactly like that it's kind of funny i'd have so many uh, sort of like full starts and other things mm. so still comes out does well cut long story short it's a really big seller for the label blah blah blah. and then f- because of that we have quite a few projects that get going get some traction and even get some money behind them and they just kind of fall apart and it's quite frustrating things don't always align no but um, sure. and i did get one of those moments we've talked about this before i got one of those you know i had a bit of a a slight crisis moment i suppose and i um, but I, at the same time i was get, getting some traction with the commercials mm. uh and i remember saying to my wife like well maybe i'll just you know f- for the minute i just need to focus on the commercials because each year i seeing exponential growth i do a few jobs uh i get them out there people would see them that would lead to more work more meetings more people better jobs mm-hmm. better kit better." so i was always sort of seeing constant improvement whereas in the feature film side it was almost like you build up you build up you build up you get this momentum you make a movie gets good reviews it does well it's the best selling the labels ever had and suddenly it all just
2: dissipates again so i
3: I kind of found this revving up and dying down um frustrating
2: it's like banging your head against a brick wall it's constantly frustrating trying to make a feature film
3: kind of wherever you are whatever level you're at it's the same throughout it's just you just got to suck it up and say okay well that's what happens and yeah i agree i
2: think you just i've loved doing these podcasts because we've talked to oh god over 60 people Mm. filmmakers who have all said the same thing it's not easy and everyone's had a different journey to becoming a filmmaker they've all gone through totally different ways of getting money or totally different ways of making their feature film and that's yeah fascinating and like you say cathartic for us to listen to and sort of go i don't feel so bad it's okay it's not just me banging my head against a brick wall
3: winners that have times are oh, like oh the, yeah, uh, Mark Sanger. The, phone's not, yeah, the the phone's not ringing and I'm just not doing what, what I'll be doing and I'm totally I'm, the you editor know.
2: of Gravity the same thing he was going okay I'm trying to make a feature film and it's really hard for me um, Mark Strong was saying the same thing about his wife you know it's, she's a well respected producer and sometimes she struggles and you kind of mm. go okay these are huge people Sam Miller the same um, directed Luther, and he's also trying to make feature films at the time. He's massive in TV. But he said the same thing. It's like it's banging your head against a brick wall. It's constant frustration and rejection. And it doesn't make sense how big you are, how small you are. It's the same thing.
3: You so, just get rejected on a bigger level. Yeah, it's just a bigger fall. <laughs> so, um, a bigger yeah, mountain get, and a bigger fall. It was 2005... No, it was 2016. 16, yeah. October, and I get an email from the producer saying, you know you've been recommended to us. There's a, I think the double whammy of having stalled in the, my film for Fright Fest, yeah. Channel 4 short starring Alice Local, Night Feed, which you go to my Twitter account, you can watch that.
2: We'll be in the show notes as well.
3: Knowing that I'd sort of ran the marathon with stalled and I could deliver a feature and then seeing Night Feed, they were like, well, we think you're our guy. Great. So there's some back and forths and, um, uh, and then one very, very quick rewrite later, I was on set shooting it. So really, really, really flying by the seat of my pants. But the all the commercials and all the short, sharp shoots, all the short films I've made, everything i made up to that moment all informed me and helped me get fanged up made. Uh I mean, breakneck doesn't quite do it justice. It was just ridiculous speed. So mm. yeah, you never know. And and it's just an opportunity, you know, it's like it 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 wasn't the most perfect opportunity, but it's like there was room to make it it, you know, something I could really have away, something I was
2: proud of. I agree, and it's getting a chance to make something. People who say this. Actually, so many people have come on the podcast have said, if you get a chance to make a feature film, be involved in a feature film in any way, do it, even if you're not sure about it at first, because you will learn something. You will gain uh, new people that you've not met before um new producers new whatever it is and suddenly you'll be on you'll go okay and because you're working work breeds work and people will see that and go oh he's working uh, yeah okay and other stuff starts to happen it's a strange thing but uh, yeah if you get a chance to go on a friend's feature film and help out for now go do it so how was it shooting it how is it actually for you going oh god i'm, I'm actually making this now and it's vampire horror which you you, you know you can smash out of the water easy. But. Yeah,
3: it's kind of it's it's in it's in my wheelhouse. I when I read the script, I could see why they're offering it to me. It kind of made a lot of sense. There was a lot of stuff, I suppose, in that, which we'll talk about with Dan, which uh, wasn't really what I wanted to be doing right now, I suppose, and uh, and also, I suppose to be fair, I mean, so uh, Dan O'Reilly and Nick Never wrote the script some time ago in an iteration that I was you know way before me, but a completely different producer, and um, mm-hmm. so this script had been kicking around town for some time, and it needed some updating. And actually, I think uh, certain aspects were just yeah, just it just needed a, a, a sort a fresh of fresh polish. perspective. And yeah, that, and, so, and,
2: and you brought that, and so did Dan Palmer coming on to do some some rewrites as well.
3: Yeah, I think had they made, you know, the, the film they made at the, ti- at the time, they, or sorry, the film they'd written at the time at that time would have you know been you know great, but it just wasn't. I think by the time we got round by two thousand two thousand and sixteen. Um, yeah, just I think an audience wouldn't have just stomached some of the some of the humour, I guess. Oh, yes. And plus, we had to consider Dan O'Reilly's. Um, his sort of like I suppose his baggage, his comic baggage, he came with. It's like, mm. well, considering the character you play in Dapper Last, do you want to be doing some of these things? So, but he was great. and He's like, no, I, you know, I want to do something new and different and challenge people's perceptions of me. So he was open to uh, a heavy change, which is um, great
2: because you need yeah. that from your lead. Um. Anyway, should we get the legend that is. Stu Bennett on. Open the curtain, bring him in. Du, 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 here's Stu Bennett. I'll tell you a little bit about Stu Bennett, if you don't know. Um, he's a... He's a marine biologist. (laughs) (laughs) He did. He earned a degree in marine biology from the University of Liverpool. Check that out. But he's actually a huge WWE star. He has starred in the films Dead Man Down, starring Colin Farrell, Noomi Rapace. Eliminators, which is starring Scott Atkins, who is hopefully coming on the podcast soon. Vengeance, which is Ross Boyask's film, which is coming out in a month or so or less, hopefully soon. And Fanged Up. Should we bring him out? Should we bring out Stu Bennett?
3: Break the chains, open the cage.
2: In he comes. All right, here's our chat with Stu Bennett. Right, joining us today to talk about making feature films, his career, and is one of the stars of Fanged Up, it's Stu Bennett. Hello, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure to be on the show, guys. It's a pleasure to have you. CJ, this must feel kind of weird. You've got your your star of your movie here. We're Skyping with him. We're doing a podcast special about Fanged Up.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just here to make sure Stu says nothing bad. It's
2: just so bad. <laughs> exactly. I made no
4: promises, Christian. Exactly. Yeah? exactly. You didn't pay me enough, so uh, <laughs> you, you didn't get that in, as part of the
2: contract.
3: Ah, well, that, that was the producer. Uh, that, go to the other producers. Let's
2: start Let's start at the beginning, Stu. I mean, obviously, you're a wrestler, and a very well-known wrestler, the WWE. Just tell us a little bit about how that, how that happened and how you got into acting in the first place. That'd be amazing.
4: Yeah, so uh, professional wrestling has been a lifelong passion for me. I kind of grew up as a massive fan of guys like the Ultimate Warrior and the British Bulldog and guys like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I decided probably at about about 15 or 16 that it's something I would love to do and and end up becoming a wrestler. So uh, when I got a little older, I started hitting the weights and working out. I found a training school in the UK that kind of taught me the basics of pro wrestling. And I started wrestling up and down the country in the UK, um, and I was eventually spotted by WWE, who are the uh, number one players in the, the professional wrestling game. They're based out in America, if you're not aware of them. Yeah. Um, and they gave me a contract, took me out there. And subsequently, I ended up doing pretty well for them and, and getting on their main TV show and, and kind of touring the world for uh, six or seven years with them and, and wrestling about 250 nights a year. Um, across the globe and wow. Uh, wow. yeah subsequently so that that was a uh, a pretty successful career for me and i always have aspirations to do some stuff in in movie work and fortunately during my time with wwe i got a couple of opportunities to to have some parts in some of the movies they produce they have a um, a, a group called wwe studios which makes mm. action films over there so i got a couple of roles in in those uh, really enjoyed it, and when I made the decision to move on from WWE a couple of years ago, I, I started back actively looking for an agent out here and, and trying to find other film roles, which is what led me to, amongst others, fanged up. Amazing.
3: Shoot, Amazing. What, what, what sort of motivated the uh, move from
4: wrestling to acting? So pro- professional wrestling, when you were doing it at the level that I was doing it, is very much uh, all-encompassing in that it, Completely takes up your time. There is no downtime at all. You're basically in a traveling circus, and mm. it's a lot of fun when you're a young man doing that. But I was getting, you know, I'm getting up there in in age now for a wrestler. I'm 37 now, which, whether um, I'm not an old man or anything like that, in wrestling terms, to be wrestling 250 nights a year and wow, traveling man. as much as we were traveling, I I kind of felt that I wanted to move into other areas when I was still young enough to kind of, you know, offshoot into a different, um, a different space. So the film stuff, I'd really enjoyed the, the stuff I'd done with WWE. Um, and, and that was to me an obvious transition to go from the performance aspect of professional wrestling into, into more acting stuff. So it totally makes sense. Yeah.
3: I always liked, I always liked that you were quite, uh, open because I suppose you came up in a time where wrestling was, uh, more, um, I suppose honest with it's the fact that it's, it's sort of theater and it's, it's, it's fighting and its theater. And whenever you're on set, I think you'd always joke about, you know, well, that's what I am. I'm a a professional fake fighter. That's Mm -hmm. what's quite funny. And the fact that you're very transparent about that.
4: Yeah, exactly. I I think if you go back 20 or 30 years, one of the things that audiences often found insulting about professional wrestling is that we were genuinely trying to hoodwink everyone that this was some sort of, (laughs) you know, legitimate boxing style fight or something like that. It's not. It's entertainment. Um, The results are predetermined when i go into a match with someone i know i'm winning or the other guy's winning yeah, um yeah. the beauty of professional wrestling to me is the artistry that's involved in telling that story and telling the drama um you know and the the athleticism that you're seeing is real you, you see some incredible feats of athleticism you get genuine injuries you know people think that because the result is predetermined we're not actually hitting each other we are hitting each other i've i've suffered you know a huge number of major injuries from professional wrestling. So in terms of it being a, an art form, um, the the real area that I respect about it is that ability to take, take an audience on a journey um, and bring out emotions in them, be it anger or sadness, happiness, elation, and get people absorbed in the drama that we're showing them in the ring, which is kind of similar in a way to the kind of things you do in the movie world where... You know the the movies we're showing—they're fake too. It's not a real. It's
2: true. Yeah, movie.
4: it's not it's not a documentary that we're showing. So um,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Uh, so which is a great segue, really, into the acting world. Um, I, I totally agree. It's a very similar thing. You, you're sort of faking your emotions sometimes, though. You try and do it as real as possible, which is the same as wrestling. You fake it as best as you can until it's real uh, or it looks real to everyone else and so so Dead Man Down happened which is a I mean what a huge movie to start with for you with Colin Farrell Numi Rapace Terrence Howard and Dominic Cooper right you know and that's that was your first feature film
4: yeah that's it I got very lucky to get a part in that one I had a pretty small role um to play in that I played Terrence Howard's bodyguard in that essentially mm. Um, and there was a bit of you know shooting a little bit of dialogue and stuff but the great thing from my perspective was that it was a two-month shoot, and I was pretty much on set every single day, even though my role was pretty small, mm-hmm. um, because I was kind of very much needed as a background character surrounding Terrence Howard everywhere he went. So I got to see firsthand kind of a, a pretty large production. Um, it had, a, a I think, about a $35 million budget, which is uh, pretty significant. Pretty and pretty significant, um, yes. Um, so to to be around actors of that caliber and, and see exactly how films of this size are put together and, you know, get to, to learn different camera techniques. Like, for example, when I first went on set, I had no idea that when they film a scene, um, they don't have, you know, three or four cameras filming the scene at the same time so they can take the different angles. I didn't realize that when you film the scene once and you do three or four, five takes, however many you need, you then shift all the lights around and all the sound around and all the, um, the cameras go to the opposite side and film it from that angle. Then you film it from a third angle and then a fourth angle and you end up doing the scene 20 or 30 times. Like Mm -hmm. I had no idea, for example, that that is how filmmaking works. So that's just one example of the, the kind of things I was, you know, picking up and learning and, uh, watching guys like Colin Farrell and and seeing how he would prepare for an intense scene and and how he'd get himself in the zone and and stuff like that. It was just a a real crash course education with, with some of the the kind of top level guys in the industry, I suppose.
2: That's wonderful. That must've been that moment when, you suddenly went, Cool, well, we've done it now on take three or whatever. Cool, thanks. I'm, I'll be in my show. I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm off. I'm like, off. No, no, we, exactly. we've got to turn around exactly. yet, Stu. You've, you've got at least down. another. Yeah. Did, you, did you also. What the
3: fuck? Did you, I'm not did you, telling we, no, you. No, did, did you, you
2: want... also go into it like full on, like fighting starts? So you were knackered after take three, going, Oh my God, I've got to do four more of these. There's kind of a bit
4: of that. I mean, you think you got to remember professional wrestling is, um, you know, pretty much everything we do is live, either for mm. uh, an audience of. You know, a giant stadium with twenty thousand people in, or with you know go, it going lo- out live on TV. We don't do second takes in wrestling, so nice. um, you basically yeah. even if something goes horribly wrong, you've just got to kind of improv and work with it and, and figure a way around. Because you can't say, "Oh, hang on, I did that wrong. Let me let me reshoot," because this is going out live, or yeah. there's twenty thousand people in the the arena who are screaming at you. So you know that's that to me was something to get used to, and it's almost like as wrestlers we feed off that live live adrenaline where you know Mm. you can't you cannot afford to mess anything up or if you do mess it up make sure you figure out how to still make it work um so it's definitely in terms of adrenaline for me on on film sets that it took a lot of getting used to because it's a much slower pace, and you kind of have that safety net of no matter what happens here, we can always reshoot it. Which, um, it definitely took a bit of getting used to for me,
2: yeah. yeah. I bet, I bet. Um, and uh, moving on quick because we want to get to fanged up, but I want to talk about your other films as well Eliminators, uh, which is obviously starring uh Scott Adkins, who will hopefully soon be on the podcast as well in the next uh month or so. And that was directed by James Nunn, uh, and that must have been nice because it was. Well, you got to, to do quite a lot of action stunts, but it was a bigger role again. And working with someone like Scott must have been fantastic.
4: Yeah, exactly. So that was, again, another one for WWE Studios. So I think people were pretty happy with what I'd done in Dead Man Down for my small amount of involvement that I actually had in that film. Um, the powers that be in WWE Studios are pretty happy with my performance and kind of the feedback on what I'd done. So they then um gave me a a much bigger part which was in eliminators where i played the lead villain sky's the um the lead good guy I'm i'm the lead villain in it and we kind of do battle and have fights and car chases and shootouts and that kind of thing but um so that was massive for me really to to step up to that level of role with a lot more dialogue a lot more focus on me and they're building me up as this evil kind of terminator like machine who's chasing down the the good guy and and trying to assassinate him so um yeah that was a massive step up for me in in pressure and everything but it was one that I loved every second of it and getting to work with Scott was great too he's um obviously speaks for himself how how great he is in that kind of genre and, and how cool it was putting together fight scenes with him and, and working with him so um yeah a lot of fun to do that yeah that transition, that transition that transition to from like uh, so from your you know
3: from from whereby it was i suppose uh 30% performance maybe but then you know 70% physical now you're getting to an arena where it's all performance and you've got a camera very close to you. Did you do anything extra to accommodate that? Or were, you, were, were you conscious of the fact that suddenly there's a camera on you close up and any extra training, anything, anything else you did when you transitioned from, from wrestling into features?
4: Yeah, well, I worked with an acting coach um, before I did that particular role, the Eliminators one, because I knew it was going to be a lot more intense and I needed to get certain nuances of the character out more than I would in a professional wrestling type role. So one of the the biggest difference in terms of the character performance that you have in professional wrestling versus the character performance you would have in a movie set Mm. is that they always tell you that if you're in a professional wrestling ring, for example, you are performing to the guy in the very back row. And if right. you if you've ever seen any WWE shows, the back row is a long way back. They they play in these giant arenas. Sometimes even in like NFL stadiums once a year for the for the biggest show of the year, WrestleMania. So. If you're performing for the guy at the very back, everything you have, everything you do is very big. Every reaction, every facial is massive because if the guy in row Z has to see it, then mm. you know you, you've got to make it huge for him to be able to see it from that far away. Whereas on a movie set, the the camera is right in your face. So one of the problems previous professional wrestlers have had when they've come to transition to um, the um, the the kind of movie and, and TV type roles is that their reactions are just too big and it kind of comes across as corny. So I had to tone down a lot of my reactions and a lot of my facial expressions and stuff in order for it to work in a film environment versus what I would have done in a wrestling environment.
2: Um, And then you moved on to your first lead role. In Ross Boyask's um, brilliant action film, Vengeance. Now, Ross and John Adams were actually on the podcast on episode 16 talking about Vengeance and Orc's, uh, John's film, and it's a fantastic podcast. So, do listen to that. And we talk about Stu in that. Um, but how was. They
3: badmouth you, Stu. They, they're pretty, good. So you kick <laughs> pretty, ass pretty gruesome. They so,
2: badmouth yeah. me to my face. It's yeah, so, that's fine, fine, fine. Um, So, yeah, that, I mean, that was lead role. You're playing John Gold. Um, and how was that then transitioning? Now you're playing a lead role in the feature film. Yeah, was that? So
4: that was, that was my, kind of my first major gig after I left WWE. So I left WWE in kind of mid 2016, I think two or three months later I was in London shooting with Evolutionary Films doing Vengeance. So um, yeah. that was massive for me. One of the interesting things for me in terms of my wrestling career is that i've always been the bad guy i i wrestled for about 12 or 13 years and no matter where i was i was always the bad guy and um, i loved playing the bad guy um i loved getting reactions from people i never wanted to be cheered i never wanted to be the guy who slaps hands and it's actually quite a rarity for in this day and age anyway, for a guy to have a thirteen year wrestling career and always be the bad guy. It's you know, people right. have to go back and forth and keep it fresh and stuff like that's that. True, but yeah. um Vince McMahon, who runs WWE, always wanted me as the bad guy and, and I was pretty much always happy with that too. So um yeah, always the bad guy in wrestling, and then even in the first two films I did, which were um, Dead Man Down and uh, Eliminators, again I always played the bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. And mm-hmm. this, that's just what I do. So to then put myself in the position of vengeance, where I'm now playing the good guy, the lead good guy. It was definitely a a big transition for me mentally to get into the kind of um, frame of mind to be the the hero almost in this film. So um, that was that was unique, um, but it was it was a lot of fun to work with those guys. Ross is incredible. Um, yeah, he's, a, yeah. he's a great writer, a great director too. And this was a big step up for him too to to get his first kind of full feature. Um, so. Yeah, I love working with them. It was a lot of fun and um uh, that's coming out imminently, I believe in about a month. Um yeah. I think it's actually going to get released for everyone. I I've, I've seen the the final edit and stuff and I'm very happy with it. I think it's going to do Still, do very well. It is. The trailer um, but should but be yeah.
2: dropping soon. But yeah, no, that's yeah, good. Good. I'm glad you had a good time and great to get that lead role um i also starred anna schaefer guy daniels kevin leslie orion lee james fisher and keith allen so it's a nice cast to be surrounded by as well which is always pleasant isn't it when you're working on something that is a little less budget certainly much less than dead man down um and you know you've, you've just got to get on with it and get stuck in
4: that's it i mean you need a, a real tight crew of people we were constantly under the um the time pressure to make sure we got every shot we needed each day because um as much as i said earlier with dead man down you can reshoot as many times as you want because it's got such a massive budget yeah. we kind of had the additional pressure of okay we can't shoot this as many times as we want on um, on vengeance because we have these time constraints that you know tomorrow we've got another six scenes we have to get and if we don't get them we will never get them mm-hmm. um so yeah there is there is an additional time pressure when you're working with the lower budget films i suppose. Yes.
2: But that must be more fun for you in a way because you're not doing 40 takes. You're literally doing right we've got three of the whole section here. So therefore you can I don't know, it's less hanging around, it's it's more go go go, which is Yeah,
4: I I love that. Like I love it, it when things were, go yeah. wrong on the shoot and uh <laughs> right. you know in the middle of the scene just try and run with it and work with it and that's I suppose one of the benefits of my background versus a Kind of someone from a more formal acting background, I think um, the the improvisation skills that I've probably built up over years definitely hold me in good stead in that kind of environment. So yeah, um, I'd say, yeah I'd I do, love that.
3: You still, you have like little to know. Why well, do you have no discernible nerves at all? So it's great. You're for me, no matter what shit's hitting the fan, you just I just sort of look at you and go. All good. you were like, yep, yeah, good, and that's it. You know, it was it was just yeah. brilliant because, uh, you know, whereas a lot of people could probably read my face, but like, oh, this this uh, something's going wrong here. And I'd look at Stu and think like, I haven't really given Stu much. I don't, or sometimes I felt like I hadn't given you much in terms of uh, directing. But I'd look at you and you go, Stu, you happy? Yep, yeah,
4: happy. And then off you went. Yeah, it was gr- just yeah I do. I think when you've had to stand in your underpants in the middle of a wrestling <laughs> ring in front of a uh, a live viewership of millions while a seven foot tall 500 pound man is about to beat you to death with his bare (laughs) hands I think uh, it puts everything in life in perspective so uh, maybe I I don't feel nerves like a lot of people would in in certain situations like that Now, when times got tough I just pictured you in your pants
2: Um, (laughs) that got me through just when you're on your own this is totally separate (laughs) Um, so should we
3: should we jump into Fanged Up should we dive in
2: dive straight in Fanged Up I mean it's, it's great that you've got two films coming out very similar time Vengeance in a month or so Fanged Up is out pretty much now when this is going out so um, that's amazing yeah. so how did you hear about the role in the first place how did it come to you
4: uh, well my agent is a guy called Alex Segal he mm-hmm. works for a, uh, a company in London called uh, intertalent group and I guess Terry Stone who's the the producer of the movie he got in touch with Alex asking if he knew any big guys who could do a Russian accent and uh alex naturally told terry yeah i've got the perfect guy for you alex then calls me up hey Stu, i've got this great role um i think you'd be awesome for it they want you to take for it. I was like, oh cool cool what is it he told me about it and he said oh yeah by the way you need to do a russian accent <laughs> i was like okay that's a problem because i i don't do a russian accent he goes oh just just give it a go i've already kind of told terry you'd be great at this and, and this that and the other so okay how long have i got to prepare for it and he says well, he'd like something over in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you know, uh, <laughs> I then obviously get the, uh, the iPad or the uh, the iPhone out and kind of start running through a few Russian accents of um, or my attempts at a Russian accent. Now, fortunately for me, through professional wrestling, you end up meeting people from all around the world. And um, one of the cool things about pro wrestling is they kind of need okay, we need one token English guy, which was me for a number of years, and we need one token Japanese guy, we need one South African guy, one Australian, and we need one Russian guy too. And it just so happens that I've been very good friends with a couple of the Russian guys that they've had over the years in WWE and from sitting in cars with them and chatting with them in the locker room and stuff. um, I suppose I kind of have absorbed part of their mannerisms and their accents and stuff like that. There was a, a guy called Vladimir Kozlov, who was a, uh, a wrestler for a long time in WWE, and I was pretty close with him. And So I kind of just tried to rip him off when I did the self-tapes to send over to Terry. And mm. um, I guess they liked what they saw. And um, pretty soon after that, uh, Alex was working on contracts to, to head over to Portsmouth and start shooting. And I think I had about two or three weeks of notice from getting the role to actually being out there and filming. So I then had a little time to kind of keep working on the accent, um, watching a few videos on on YouTube and stuff like that, and and finding some people speaking in Russian accents and picking up certain things from them. And, you know, really, really just kind of repetition, repetition, repetition of of, of getting what I felt was an acceptable accent for the role.
2: Amazing. Amazing. So, so, right. Obviously now, you, you've not met christian yet you've not met cj at this point did you guys first meet when you were on set oh wait no uh, we
4: we, we yeah. actually we actually had a bit of a skype session first. Oh, okay, so good. i think um terry had seen the tape he liked it and then mm. i think terry had spoken to um christian and we had a little skype session i was living in tampa florida at the time and i remember sitting there having a chat with christian and we clicked straight away which was good and um i knew he was going to be very easy to work with and, and get along with and uh From that point on, I think um, Alex then sorted out the contracts for it, and uh, it was smooth sailing from there.
2: Amazing. Amazing. For those that don't know, uh, the film is about a young rogue. He's running to prison for the weekend, unaware that the guards are blood-sucking vampires, and the inmates are their victims. Um, How is it then to sort of go, you're now doing a broad comedy? So you're going, obviously you've done quite a lot of that, that in wrestling anyway, but this is now... Strong acting with comedy, with well, comedy actually, stars. Well,
3: actually, if I could jump in there, Please, Chance, yeah. Yeah. Because, th- it, I was so adamant that this role, this person can't be a comedy performer. But what <laughs> great and seeing what Stu done when, when Terry suggested Stu would be worth looking at. And uh, a very quick YouTube search gives you uh, a lot of Stu's work. And it's like, oh, he'd be perfect because he understands comedy but can play it as the straight man, as it were. Because your lead is a stand-up comic so mm-hmm. uh and for really any of the jokes to work it's they've got to bounce off stew so it was imperative there's nothing worse than when you're in a comedy and people start acting like they're in a comedy so so Sh- stew's role or the role of victor was the one that almost had to be cast you know everything else would bounce off of that so um yeah i suppose for maybe stew you'd be better answering this than me but um it kind of it's the funniest role, yet you have to play it incredibly straight. Would that be right? Yeah, I'd
4: agree with that. I mean, I, I get to obviously read in the script how straight this character had to be, and he's supposed to be the big, scary guy, but underneath all these layers of um, of brutality that he has about him, there's a heart of gold in there. But, um, but you're right. I mean, with a guy like Dan, who's playing the lead, um, he's so funny that you can't I, I couldn't even dream of competing with him in the comedy realm because that's his genre. That's what he does. So mm. for me to be able to play the straight guy in that is is way better for me. It's um it's something that came a lot more naturally to me than trying to be slapstick. Um so yeah, I I think I think it was very natural to to play it like that.
3: You guys you guys had a you seem to get on like well, testament directing maybe, but you seem to get on very well. And what was uh what was fantastic was it was just you guys, you, you and Dan. The first day of shooting was a couple of the cell scenes where the two meet for the first time. Not, it doesn't always work like that in low budget filmmaking. You just, you know, you shoot what you shoot, and that's it. But I was actually managed to get the first day or two where the characters meet in the film were genuinely the the, the scenes where where. Dan and Stuart were learning, you know, were working together for the first time. So literally as they are becoming friends, you've got the rapport building on screen and it worked well in so many ways because Dan was genuinely scared of Stu and kind of <laughs> wanted to impress him. And but also because you're in a prison environment, it's a lot of the extras would say this, you know, they come in, a buddy of mine came down to play, uh, you know, one of the uh, inmates and he's like, uh, he parked, you know, parked, parked up outside, and walked in and got his costume. Was like handed his costume. I don't think they de him, but I'm, maybe they did. <laughs> but um, you see Then we went. You have like a giant green room, and he said, literally, what he, what he did was he walked in there. felt like so intimidated. He just walked up to the or sat next to the biggest person he could find in a kind of like you'll protect me kind of way. So um, <laughs> that was kind of what was like. For, I think that prison because you're in a prison. It I think it just it bleeds in, and uh, that relationship that you see on screen is
4: Yeah I I'd, I'd agree with that. He um the you, you're absolutely right about that first scene. There was definitely because I didn't know Dan at all then. I think we'd met the night before very briefly and had a beer together but with, there was still a lot of like when you meet anyone for the first time there's a, a you know awkwardness about it and you know what's this guy really about and you know you haven't actually met him. You've met the representative of himself that he's trying to show to you and, and stuff like that so you don't really know anything about him at that point point. and that i think that that little touch of awkwardness when you first meet someone played in perfectly to that scene because i wasn't used to his kind of humor at that point he didn't know that i wasn't some you know lunatic who was going to go crazy and start punching people at some point so there was that that element of that not like that, that almost lack of trust at that point that I think lends itself very well to that initial scene that we filmed. and that subsequently is probably my favorite film favorite scene in the entire movie. I love the the first intro between the two of us in the prison cell. I think it's hilarious, awkward intimidating and and dan is just so funny and it's so um yeah that's probably if i had to pick any scene in the film that's my favorite when the two characters first
2: meet how how is it working generally on on this thing what are you what are your memories from your your time no shooting this?
3: no pressure history it's not like <laughs> no, no no generally you can act I, I would be fascinated to know what you were expecting versus what yes. you got and how the whole thing unfolded for you
4: yeah well it was funny because um i really didn't have too many expectations going into it i kind of came in with an open mind because in terms of the role itself i would never done anything like this before mm-hmm. playing a first of all playing a guy with an accent was was kind of brand new to me i'm playing a russian and playing on a, a horror and a comedy all this stuff i'd never done before and i wasn't even particularly familiar with dan i know dan is a pretty big name in the uk but i've been out in the us for the last 12 or 13 years and mm-hmm. he hasn't really crossed over over there i don't know if he's kind of humor works in the US or not, but um, certainly he's a huge name out here. Um, so really, I'd come in with a completely open mind, didn't know what to expect. Um, but I remember the, I suppose, the camaraderie of, of all the crew and the cast was really strong from from very early in the shoot. And it was cool meeting these, all these guys we had set up as prisoners. I guess Dan was friends with a lot of them from the the kind of comedy world he works in. And just, it seemed like there was, every day 30 or 40 People on set who were in, you know, either background acting roles or, or lead kind of roles, and it seemed that everyone just clicked straight away, and there was great banter and and stuff uh, between everyone, and that lends itself well again to the kind of prison atmosphere where you've got all these prisoners, and if you ever seen documentaries about inside prison life, there's always this kind of this this kind of riotous behavior between them all that's kind of simmering there the whole time and that's almost how it felt on set that you know these these guys are you know the director and the the first ad are desperately trying to control this horde of (laughs) (laughs) lunatics that could boil over at any time and that really i think comes over comes over in some of the um the scenes especially there's a there's a scene in the prison canteen where um it kind of turns into a bit of a riot at one point and i i felt that 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 um energy was there the entire time we were shooting.
2: amazing amazing and then uh, working from those guys all the comedy guys dan o'reilly and um dan palmer and Vass blackwood and then you have Stephen burkoff in the middle of this who is this you know is very well respected very well known for you know it being the straight strong silent actor type how is it going from that and then suddenly there's you're working with Stephen burkoff yeah, well,
4: I didn't actually have any scenes with Stephen, um, so we really only met and kind of have a quick handshake and a hello. I think the days he was shooting, I was off, and uh, and vice versa. There's no direct uh, meeting between our two characters on set or anything like that. But he's a, he's a great name to add to, it, and I think. A lot of people um were probably pretty surprised when they saw his name attached to it. I mean, you look at the kind of movie it is, and you mm-hmm. know, it's a ridiculous film. Let's face it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Vampires <laughs> in a prison, there's a, Russia, a Soviet guy and a guy making jokes about sausages. It's a ridiculous <laughs> film. But to add a name like Stephen Burkhov in there makes you think, well, this is this is pretty interesting. Let me let me check out how how they've portrayed him in that. And his character is is incredible in there too. Obviously, I've seen the the, the final version of it. Um, but his you know he plays it great and it fits in perfectly and it's almost surreal seeing a guy like that playing the kind of character he's playing and uh yeah I think it's a great addition. So I don't know how uh, how it went down that he ended up getting that role, but I thought it was it was kind of cast perfectly there. Super, super money. Money just,
3: just, just you know suitcase full of money. Totally, yeah, no, no, I I, I I don't know. I I fully <laughs> I was the same as you I he, his name came up and and uh, there's there's a few uh, being bandied around and uh, uh and and steven's name came up I was like yeah great i mean i think you know you know he, he's a he's a he's a thespian you know he he does uh, slow mo shakespeare plays so uh, is he is he going to uh, is he going to you know respond to this but um he did so uh, yeah and we're not you know we we're, we're a moderately budgeted film but you know it's uh, it's not it's not you know giant paychecks for sure so um but no he, for whatever reason Stephen decided that it was uh something he wanted to get involved in
2: and uh, we know you've got to go so uh, cj unless you've got a final question i'll um i, I might have
3: no and no, let's we talk about what she's got coming up that's uh Steve, have, you got, have you got a couple of minutes to talk about what's next
4: Sure, absolutely. So um, I've got obviously the the things we've talked about, vengeance and uh, fanged up uh, coming out very soon in the next kind of month or two. Um, so
3: fanged up's on the thirtieth of July, and what when vengeance?
4: Do you know? Uh, you, you put me on the spot here. No, I shouldn't you know. know this off the top of my <laughs> head, but I, I believe it's sometime kind of mid August. Um, sure. If you follow my Twitter and the vengeance Twitter, all the information will will be on yeah. there as as and when um, it's it's coming out um but on top of that i've got a show coming out on the 28th of july on itv1 um so 5 p.m it's saturday 28th of july at 5 p.m there's a new wrestling show called wos wrestling which is stands for world of sport wrestling which if you're a wrestling fan of british wrestling back in the day in the the kind of 70s and 80s it was huge with guys like big daddy and giant haystacks and people like that well we're bringing that back it's going to be on prime time itv1 um, with a whole new generation of British wrestlers. It's something we shot a couple of months ago. I'm really proud of it, and I'm I'm involved in that, too. I'm one of the commentators, and I play the executive from WOS who kind of makes the matches and runs the show and stuff. So if, if professional wrestling interests you at all, definitely tune in and, and check that out. And then I've also got another show coming out on Netflix in September uh, called Ultimate Beastmaster, which is kind of like the Netflix version of American Ninja Warrior – Which I think has been uh, a pretty big hit over here. Um, So it's kind of this like obstacle course style athleticism race, um, which I'm again hosting that and and doing some commentary and things like that. There's
3: no, there's no end to your talents. You're now presenting as well.
4: Hey, I'm. uh, um, I don't know. It's uh, if you're the master (laughs) of none, I think is the, uh, the 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 key phrase. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting leaving the world of professional wrestling and. There's no obvious next step, so you kind of have to see what's out there, what comes in, what my agent can grab for me, and things that excite me, I I tend to do. So doing a bit of TV hosting, doing some acting too, and I believe I'm going to be doing another feature film in London in kind of mid-September. We haven't got the contract signed for that yet, but it's looking pretty positive. We're going to be on like a four-week shoot in London from mid-September to mid-October doing another action movie, so um nice. hopefully that all get Great. set up and, and that will be the next thing I bounce to fingers crossed by there look forward to it uh, uh, And I'll
3: probably see you as something found up related soon as well I'd imagine
4: yeah absolutely I mean um, I kind of travel back and forth to the UK quite a lot I'm in the UK currently doing some promotion for that WOS wrestling show and uh, then I'm off on holiday to France and Greece for a couple of weeks and then I think I'm back again after that so I'm, I'm constantly back and forth so hopefully we'll cross past face to face um fairly soon I'll give a good manly handshake. Teach you how to do it, Stu. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Stu, this has been fantastic. Thank you for your time. Um, And uh, yeah, everyone look forward to watching Fanged Up.
4: There we go. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. I appreciate
2: it. Pleasure. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate. Uh, Take care, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So Fanged Up will be out in literally a week's time. Yeah. It is 30th of July. So exciting. Yeah. So I'm looking
3: forward to getting some, uh, some feedback and seeing it go on and, and uh, have a life of its own. It's been uh, in our collective heads for so long. It's nice to to sort of send it off.
2: Yeah, and it is. And I think it's nice for our listeners to actually see the film that you, we've been talking about for so long as well. I yeah. think that's really cool. Yeah. It Very
3: proves nice. that we're we're not just bullshitters. We do make films too
2: no absolutely absolutely
3: <laughs> I mean we bullshit very,
2: very well but we do very well make... very well and we're very humble about bullshitting absolutely so where can people follow you CJ so you can follow me at
3: CJamesDirect on uh, Twitter I believe that probably goes to Instagram but you don't want Insta because that's just my
2: pictures of me and the kid and the wife just yeah, at yeah. the beach looking great and surfing and stuff that's And if you're it. not following by now that's ridiculous why not Fanged Up
3: fanged follow up. that film, and also uh, Fanged Up is at Fanged Up Film on Twitter so At that's that'll Film. tell you because it's available there's loads of Q&A screenings and you can request it also in your local um might be Odeon there's lots it of is, things yeah, and ways right. to see it so if you go on to Fang.Film it'll give you links as to where you can request um, to show fanged up in your town or city and i believe in Perfect. certain places if you get enough people together they'll put on a screening as well so links
2: will be in the show notes
3: dvd amazon everywhere on the 30th and then it will be i would imagine <clears throat> i believe it's your netflix or amazon primes and whatnot uh, a short while thereafter but it has got an exclusive window on on physical format for a a fair
2: few weeks or months first this was our Fanged Up special. Uh, you can follow us at FilmmakersPod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. Remember, get your screenings and fundraisers, etc. into the Indie Film shout-outs at me at filmmakers Pod or at Giles Alderson. Um, thank you very much, Stu Bennett, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. We promise you. And remember, if you want to go to the Raindance course, click the link in the show notes. Um, being prepared is everything. You can make your Indie Film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it! Hashtag make your film. Remember though, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send that elevator back down. If you enjoyed listening to this, please share, like, subscribe to us on iTunes. New show is out on Tuesday, as always. So we will see you, CJ. When? Um,
3: that's a good question. Uh, we've got uh, when will you see me again? Um... No, I think
2: you have to just say next Tuesday. So, <laughs> so Charles. <we Jones>.
3: Will... <laughs> I'll see you next Tuesday.
2: <laughs> Yay! Until then, stay well, work hard, and try to take another step forward to making your indie film. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. bye
4: This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.